Welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel, and we have another preview of the this time of the Midwest edition. And of course, to help us along the way, we've got Josh Brown and Jake Paborski. Josh, how are you? Doing well, Dan. We're talking one day before we all depart for the first weekend of TBT, so it's getting real, Dan. Absolutely. And Jake, yourself? I am very excited. My departure trip will be about 15 minutes down the road to fill you on Saturday, but uh, otherwise, I'm still very excited regardless. It should be uh, a very fun weekend. Absolutely. And so what we're going to talk about today, guys, is the Midwest Regional. Uh, just like we did with the South and the Northeast, we're going to go through these by order of the game. So we'll start with the 9 a.m. game and then kind of move through for, from there. Um, the key thing that really stood out to me, guys, in the Midwest Regional, uh, at least in terms of the application process, was that the teams that ended up being kind of the top seeds in the event really all qualified on their own through the voting, which is kind of unique. Yeah, you don't see that too often. I mean, you look at uh, the Golden Eagles, Hilton Magic Legends, Scarlet and Gray, um, Purple and Black, uh, and there's a couple of other really good teams in there too. Um, yeah, it, it's a good point. I, I haven't really thought about that, but they did a good job. A lot of alumni teams, it's a very strong alumni team group. You could argue that three or four of the alumni teams in the Midwest could really you know, win TBT as a whole, not only the Midwest region. So uh, good to see a lot of uh, teams have their school get behind them. Uh, they've done well. And then you add in teams like the Jackson, Tennessee underdogs, who um, we're going to get to, obviously, during the podcast, and the Fort Wayne champs, two other teams who could make a deep run in TBT. Really strong group of teams who did a great job getting votes, like you mentioned. Absolutely. All right, let's start with one of those alumni teams. The 9 a.m. game on July 15th is going to feature the four-seeded Purple and Black, which is a Kansas State alumni team, against the 13-seed Canton Bulldogs. Uh, Josh, I mean, Jake, rather, uh, last year Purple and Black showed up a little bit shorthanded, but this year they seem to have really reloaded. Yeah, they've really put together the team very well. A lot of notable guys from the, the good old Kansas State teams uh, in the late 2000s. Anytime you get Jacob Pullen on the floor playing for you, you know, the all-time leading scorer in Kansas State basketball history, that's a good sign. He's a bit of a late sign-up there. He was one of the last guys to get on the roster to make them eligible uh, with seven guys on the team. But he's expected to be there. He's going to be you know, leading the charge for them in the backcourt. going to be probably their, their main shooter uh, with Jordan Enriquez, who's kind of you know taking the lead and helping to assemble this team, playing in the paint. Had a really good year playing overseas in Asia. Uh, and they also went outside of you know, Kansas State to go get them a little help, too. Dominique Sutton uh, from NCCU. Yes, Stefan Hanna uh, from Missouri, who's played in TBT in the past and had a cup of coffee with the Chicago Bulls after a nice little stint in TBT two years ago. So it's a really good team, and you know these fans are going to travel. I've been seeing Kansas State fans talking about hitting the road, getting a big road trip together to go out to Peoria and, and to cheer this team on. So it's going to be a home game away from home for them. Uh, I'm really looking forward to watching them play. The thing that really stands out to me, Josh, about this uh, Kansas State team this year versus last year is how much it seems to be more organized and more committed from the guys. They've got a solid nine. It seems like they've really thought about who they wanted to bring and position wise uh, all seem to be in the right spots uh, of their career as well. Is that your opinion of them? Yeah, I think because I was actually in the Midwest and watched them play. The frustrating thing with uh, purple and black last year was you saw the potential that was there, um, but they only had five guys playing, and eventually things just kind of caught up to them, and they ended up uh, obviously losing. But like you mentioned, really well put together, and you saw with the five guys they had on the court last year that they have really the potential to be kind of a special team, which is interesting because I don't think people really look at 
uh, Kansas State anymore as really a powerhouse in college basketball. But when you look at guys like, you know, the guys that Jake mentioned, Pullen, Henriquez, Irving, et cetera, you can really tell how much talent has come through Kansas State. Stephen Hanna, like I mentioned, obviously um, from Missouri. But you can tell how much talent has gone through that school. And like I mentioned, I mean, the most frustrating thing was watching uh, how much potential they had, but just because they only had five guys that caught up with them. So, yeah, you said it perfectly, Dan. I think the organization is going to be key for them. And they have a really tough matchup. Uh, don't get us wrong. I mean, the Canton Bulldogs, they were one of my favorite teams that uh, we saw last year in the Midwest. Um, really good, well-put-together team. Jesse Harden Jr. really kind of single-handedly beat the Ants alumni now know, known as the Fort Wayne champs when he hit, uh, I think, nine threes in that game that they beat them in that 15-2 upset. So they have a tough matchup. But, yeah, purple and black looking really organized, looking uh, like a real kind of team to beat here in the Midwest. This matchup is incredible to me because it's a 4-13, and I don't see a huge gap between these teams. It's mm-hmm. not It's not like I would even consider it—I wouldn't personally see it as an upset if the Canton Bulldogs won. We look at the team that they have. We know that last year they were a 15 uh, that beat a 2, but they're even stronger this year coming back. Jesse Harden Jr., as you mentioned, Josh, really a fantastic shooter. Uh, Carl Jones Jr., who went to St. Joe's, he's got one of the greatest uh, NBA workout tapes from when he came out. I think in like 2011 or 2012, he just doesn't miss. You know, he's just a solid scorer. They've got height with Justin Jamison, Anthony Kent, who went to Ball State. Uh, Demetrius Treadwell is a great wing who went to Akron. Uh, you've got a lot of really talented players on this on this Canton Bulldogs team, uh, Jake. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of top D1 talent. You know, Carl Jones, being, being a Philly guy, I got to watch Carl play in the area and just a really good scorer, guy who can shoot lights out. And, you know, him and Jesse Harden will definitely make a tough backcourt. Uh, for the purple and black team. And, you know, a lot of just really top talent. Demetrius Treadwell will, you know, provide a little scoring and stretch the floor a little bit. And then Ken can hold down the paint. You know, this is a team that came out in TBT last year and performed very, very well. They know what it takes to win on this stage. Uh, as does purple and black, too. You know, after last year, you know, a shorter run than they would have liked. Uh, you know, they need, they know, both know what they need to do to get to that next level. Uh, it's going to be, you know, like a knockdown, drag them out kind of fight for this one. I, I expected, you know, this game to be somewhere in the 60s or 70s. You know, a lot of teams, you know, they do have a lot of scores on both these teams but at the same time uh you know it's going to be a little scrappier i imagine than uh than pretty and uh and i think that it'll i'm going to give the the purple and black team the slight edge on this one but uh you know 413 is is a classic upset or the 13 over four i should say is a classic upset in the ncaa tournament and it wouldn't surprise me it happened in this case as well all right so the second game of the day in peoria illinois at bradley university is going to be the 1045 matchup between the number five seeded hilton magic legends which is another alumni team iowa state this time against the number 12 seeded Illinois Hoopville Warriors. I think the broad strokes of this one is this Iowa State team is the first uh, time they're entering TBT for the Hoopville Warriors. It's their fourth. Uh, so you've got the ex- TBT experience versus maybe some of the bigger names that you might have from Iowa State. Uh, from what I hear, Iowa State's going to have a bunch of fans there. You know, up to half the arena is going to be filled with these uh, these Cyclones fans coming to cheer on their guys. Uh, that being said, Hoopville Warriors have never been intimidated by anybody. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this 512, Josh. Yeah, it's a classic matchup of an alumni team versus like a scrappy, you know, team. These guys grew up together. They all know each other. They play together all the time. It's kind of that classic matchup. I mean, um, it's tough to kind of give the advantage one way or another, like you mentioned with the Canton Bulldogs uh, and Purple and Black matchup, because it really wouldn't surprise me either way. I mean, um, 
you know, the Hilton Magic Legends coming in, a lot of, um, you know, highly touted guys. Corey Lucius, fun fact that we've talked about before, he's played on two alumni teams for both colleges he played for, played for that Michigan State team last year, now playing for the Iowa State team. He obviously played his college ball at both of those respective schools, but it goes really deeper than that. Curtis Stinson, really good point guard at Iowa State. So really, again, the classic highly touted college guys versus the, the scrappy guys like um, – um, Britt Booker, Billy Baptist, you know, you know the whole deal with Hoopville uh, after watching them, Ricardo Hill after watching them for the last four years. So, uh, like you kind of mentioned with that other matchup, um, it wouldn't surprise me either way. I think Hilton Magic Legends will come in with a little bit of the home crowd advantage and just a little bit of the talent advantage, but you can never count out kind of that underdog, scrappy team, and that's exactly what you get with Hoopville. Yeah, absolutely. They're a team that presses, they play hard. You know, in 2014, they almost made it to the semifinals. Uh, before they lost in a buzzer beater to Big Apple Basketball, which I know it looked like it was going to kill uh, Britt Booker on the court when he was playing at the time. 2015, they did very well, ultimately lost, I believe, to um, Josh. Who would they have lost to in 2015 in Chicago? Um, Armored Athlete, I think Armored they lost Al- to in Yeah, they in beat the other Chicago team. And, then- and 2016, they had a tough opening round matchup against the Golden Eagle alumni team from Marquette and almost beat them. Uh, in the opening round last year. So, you know, again, Hoopville Warriors is a team that is going to play hard. Rico Hill seems to be completely ageless. Uh, For a guy who's 40 years old, for him to get up and down the court, hit big shots and rebound the way that he does is really impressive. That being said, uh, Iowa State's got a lot of young guns on this team. Uh, They've picked up the people that they needed to pick up. I'm really looking forward to this 5-12 matchup. Again, that's going to be the 10-45 game uh, there in Peoria. Uh, Illinois, 1045 Central, by the way. All these times that we're talking about here are Central times. All right, so the next game of the day is actually going to be the 1230 game, Central time, which features another first-time TBT entry at the Banner Boys, which is a University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee alumni team, the seventh seed, against the 10-seeded Jackson, Tennessee underdogs. Jackson, Tennessee last year was a 16 seed that upset the number one-seeded Kentucky alumni team, the Bluegrass Boys, uh, last year in the Midwest Regional. Uh, the Banner Boys from the University of Milwaukee, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, as I said, are a first-time entrant, but look to have a lot of guys in the right position of their careers as well. Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts on this matchup, just as you, as you kind of look at it for the first time? I think this UW-Milwaukee team is kind of flying under the radar, probably because they're not one of the bigger-tier D1 programs. But you look at this team, you know, put together by Ed McCants, who was Horizon League Player of the Year in 2005, has done a really good job of bringing in a lot of the top-tier players that have come out of that school over the past you know, decade or so. You look at Dylan Page, uh, a guy who won the Horizon League Player of the Year Award a uh, year before McCants did, is you know basically in the prime of his career right now in Spain, playing for a team in Estudiantes uh, that is really good. You have Clay Tucker, who has also played you know, 14 years playing overseas. Uh, Cody Wickman is a great shooter. So a lot of great talent that have come out of the school that a lot of people don't know about because they're playing, you know, they're one of these smaller tier uh, D1 programs playing in a, you know, a very talented uh, league in the Horizon League, but uh, just not very well known. And, you know, they're also playing for a cause too. you know, the plan to donate par- uh, part of their money to uh, facing addiction to help. Uh, people in the Midwest overcome, uh, you know, their addiction to heroin is a fantastic story. Uh, you know, it, it makes them easier to root for. And it's it's a very solid, well-put-together team that could definitely make some noise if uh, people don't take them seriously. Josh, do you see any similarities between this uh, Banner Boys uh, UW-Milwaukee team and the Bradley alumni team, always a Brave, from last year? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think... 
uh, you're going to get those comparisons because they're, again, a, a mid-major school who, um, again, kind of flies under the radar. I think maybe some of those always brave guys were a little bit more well-known than some of the guys on this team, but kind of same premise, guys who flied under the radar, uh, but a really good team who can come together. And, um, you know, I don't think it would surprise me if they made a deep run, although I will say um, I'm going all Jackson, Tennessee on this game. I think, um, I think quite frankly, the seeds could have been reversed here. I mean, it, it's kind of a testament to the talent in TBT, but uh, Jackson, Tennessee could have easily been the seven in this game. And um, you look what they did. Such a great story when they beat um, that Kentucky team last year, uh, 16 versus one upset. Uh, they reload. They bring in Kendall Anthony, Terrace Johnson, Willie Kemp from Memphis, and Jarvis Varnado, who is going to end up being one of the best players we watch in TBT. And then they add in some of the guys they had, including the five foot four electric point guard. Uh, Anthony Sampson, and I think they're going to be a special team. I, I think, um, I don't know if it would necessarily be an upset if they make it to the Super 16, but they are, if it is an upset, they're my pick to make uh, really uh, maybe a run to the Super 16 and maybe even the Midwest Regional Championship game because they play so well together um, and, and they're really a talented team. So it could go either way, but I think Jackson, Tennessee uh, is coming in with a chip on their shoulder after just kind of at the last second losing out to always a brave. And I think they're going to do something uh, pretty special in TBT 2017. That's right. I mean, if not for Tony Bennett bailing out always a brave last year, Jackson, Tennessee advances to the Super 16, and maybe they have a chance to ultimately play for the for the $2 million prize last year. I, I'm really intrigued. I think Jackson, Tennessee, for me, is one of, if not the most improved team uh, from 2016 to 2017, which I think is saying a lot because they actually were really, really good last year as well. So again, this is going to be a great... This is going to be a really great matchup. I think Varnardo is a player that we maybe haven't seen of this sort of guy play in TBT before. Just an absolute defensive menace. I think he was like the two or three-time SEC Defensive Player of the Year uh, when he was at Mississippi State. Just a real stud. And obviously as an NBA champion as well uh, with the Miami Heat. So this is going to be a really great matchup. Again, that's the 7-10 matchup at 1230 Central Time uh, on July 15th there in the Midwest region. The next game, guys, features another alumni team, and this is a team that a lot of people have their eyes on in terms of uh, potentially winning the whole thing. The number two-seeded Scarlet and Gray from Ohio State versus the number 15, the region. Uh, this is really a fantastic matchup, guys. I, I, region is one of my favorite teams that plays in TBT. Scarlet and Gray, one of the more intriguing teams of 2016, I'm sorry, 2017. Uh, even without Greg Oden, Jake, uh, this Ohio State team is really loaded. It's like all of the biggest names that have come out of that school that aren't in the NBA. You know, Aaron Kraft, William Buford, John Diebler, David Lighty, and Dallas Lauderdale. You know, probably your starting five right there. And an absolute, you know, dominant force. You have Aaron Kraft, you know, former Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year multiple times. Diebler and Lighty can shoot the, the heck out of the ball. And then you have Lauderdale, who had a nice year in the D-League this past year, uh, holding down the paint down low. It, it's a really fantastic team. And then you go outside of Ohio State and you bring in a little help uh, from Nate Miller, uh, from Bowling Green and Leon Rogers from Northern Illinois, a couple guys who live in the Ohio State area. Uh, it, it is a fantastic team, and I guarantee you a lot of people in that area are very excited to watch them play. We'll come out and support them. Uh, Ascuni Penn has done a fantastic job of bringing these guys together. I imagine they're getting a lot of practices in in the Columbus area. They're going to be ready to go. Uh, and the region is certainly going to have their work cut out for them. I imagine they're not intimidated. You know, they've come up. Uh, and you know, conquered some some tough challenges in the past before, uh, but but this is going to be their toughest test to date. And if you know, I it, good luck trying to outshoot this team uh, with guys like Buford, Diebler, and Lighty on the floor. Absolutely, uh, but Josh, this uh, the team, the region, 
again, one of the more improved teams from 2016 to 2017. They've really reloaded as well. Yeah, they're kind of the classic case of playing a first-year alumni team, and sometimes alumni teams take, new alumni teams take a game or two to get um, kind of used to TBT, uh, just kind of, again, get that chemistry going again, and I think the region's one of the teams who could really kind of push them, and, you know, maybe even kind of smell an upset in a 215 matchup if, if Scarlet and Gray's not kind of careful. But yeah, I mean, they were a team who played really hard. I, I believe they lost to Purple and Black last year, uh, although I could be remembering that wrong. No, you're right. You're yeah, right. and I remember they played them really tough. They were a good team. That game came down to, I think, the final three or four minutes, and uh, like you said, they kind of reloaded. I mean, Michigan State fans will, will remember Russell Bird, who also has played in the G League. Bird transferred from Michigan State in his senior year, but had a, a good career there. One of the more well-liked kind of fan-favorite uh, players on that team, and Weber State fans will remember Chris Woods, who was a really uh, well, he's actually coaching them um, I misread that. I thought he was playing, but he had a very good career at Weber State, so he'll be actually coaching them. But, um, yeah, you said it, Dan. They're a team who they play hard. Um, and, again, I think if Scarlett and Gray's not careful and if they have maybe a tough time getting you know into the flow of things early on, I think the region's one of the teams who could push them to the edge and really uh, kind of push an upset here in, that again, that two fifteen matchup. All right, guys, that's the matchup for that two. 30 game, uh, 215 rather, uh, Scarlet and Gray versus the region. Let's kind of go on now to the home team, so to speak, uh, for this Midwest regional. The Bradley alumni team, always a brave, a semifinalist Midwest champion of 2016's TBT. Uh, really looks great for this year as well. They're matched up with the 14th seeded Mid-American Unity. This is going to be a great game. This is the 4 o'clock game uh, there in Peoria, Illinois. But really the thing that really impresses me uh, about teams like Always a Brave is coming back even stronger the next year. Uh, a guy that was kind of on the edges of the team last year and didn't actually play is Walt Lemon. Uh, he's on the team this year. Uh, but guys, really for me, the story with Always a Brave is Marcella Somerville and Daniel Ruffin. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, really, I mean, we saw what they did last year in their run to the semifinals, but again, they're a team who's reloaded. I mean, uh, you can't forget about Jerome Randall, the all-time leading scorer at Cal, who they've brought in uh, to help kind of get a scoring touch going. Patrick O'Brien uh, has spent time in the NBA. He was a really good center for them, really good defensive player and a rebound. They kind of let him do his thing on the glass. And well, you know, guys like Ruffin and uh, Somerville led the offense. And, and Matt Sally, too, a really good player down low. He really complimented Somerville well. So they're going to have the home crowd behind them. They're playing in Peoria. Um, they're a team who you talk about, teams who know what knows what it takes to win in TBT. They beat Marquette, actually, in that, uh, or the Golden Eagles in that Midwest Regional Championship game. So, uh, yeah, you talk about teams who know how to win. They're right at the top of the list. And some of the improvements that they've made, uh, I think, makes them a contender to not only make it back, but maybe, um, like you mentioned, make it two wins further and maybe, you know, take home that $2 million. Yeah, Jake, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I I think two really solid teams. I think Always a Brave has probably the second deepest roster in TBT behind Team Colorado out west. Now, you mentioned guys like Walt Lemon, who's a super bouncy guy who competed uh, in the college dunk contest uh, while he was still at Bradley. And then you add Taylor Brown, too, graduated a couple years ago, is having a nice pro career over in Poland and uh, finishes the year with a good team in Lithuania. You know, from top to bottom, you know, that team just checks off every box that you could possibly want. Shooting, you know, good guard play, solid post play, uh, rebounding, defense, everything. Uh, they, they cover it all. So Mid-American Unity in their first year, you know, they got some good players from from some high D1 schools like Bowling Green and a couple of those guys went to Kent State, you know, some solid schools in the Midwest. 
Uh, but it's going to be tough to overcome a team like that, uh, as loaded and as deep as they are, and you know, with a ton of success in TBT over the past year, uh, they're certainly going to have their work cut out for them. This is again one of those matchups that just astounds me that there's a it's a three fourteen, <laughs> you know, because this Mid American Unity team has got size, they've got elite players playing at high levels overseas, uh, guys that uh, you know have a great pedigree themselves, uh, versus an always a brave team that you know. Really kind of for our purposes, I think, flew under the radar, at least initially last year. Barely got through the regional round, uh, thanks to Tony Bennett, as we were talking about a minute ago, uh, nailing a really clutch shot against uh, Jackson, Tennessee. But then really came into their own once they got to the round of 16. And if not for Daniel Ruffin's Achilles injury in last year's uh, opening minutes of the semifinal game, uh, they may have beaten Colorado. And if they had gotten to that championship game, you never know, because nobody was playing better uh, up to that point where Ruffin got hurt last year. Uh, than always a brave. So I'm really intrigued to see what this matchup is going to be and how this one plays out. That being said, I do think that having that hometown crowd at a four o'clock start for always a brave is going to be a huge advantage uh, for them. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, sometimes those things actually fuel the underdog too. All right, guys, the next game uh, of the day in Peoria is the 545 matchup for the number six Fort Wayne champs, formerly the Ants alumni versus the number 11 Peoria All-Stars. Guys, this is another great matchup. Uh, Peoria All-Stars made it in through the TBT Jamboree, really came together almost at the last minute. A lot of those guys had never even met each other before, never mind actually playing together, uh, get, versus a team that has won a D-League championship, uh, the Fort Wayne Champs, formerly the Ants alumni. Uh, Josh, this is going to be a great matchup, too. Yeah, I, I think these Jamboree teams are going to be really tough to beat, Dan. I mean, not only are they four really good teams, but just having those two games together. And, you know, you, you mentioned it with Oles and Brave, how later in the tournament you saw them come into their own. You saw the Peoria All-Stars really late in that second game of the Jamboree kind of come into their own. Everything was firing on all cylinders. You have Lawrence Alexander, who I think is going to end up being one of the better players in the tournament. Um, They have, again, kind of up and down the roster. I don't know if Brett Bisping scheduled to play, but he had a very good jamboree for them. He just signed a pro deal as well, and they're going to have a little bit of a home crowd advantage as well, playing in Peoria, obviously. Uh, and I, I think they're going to have fans there as well. I think the Oles and Brave fans are going to stick around and root for this Peoria All-Stars team. You kind of see both of them supporting each other on Twitter. Um, so I think these jamboree teams are going to be you know, tough to beat, especially the Peoria All-Stars in Peoria. But, you know, in that same breath, the Fort Wayne Champs are a team who made the TBT uh, semifinals two years ago. They had a, a tough game last year against the Canton Bulldogs. But um, if you listen to the podcast we did with Anthony Harris, they really um, have kind of put a conscious effort in putting this roster together to kind of overcome some of the weaknesses that they had a year ago in TBT's Midwest Regional. So they're very conscious of what went wrong last year, what they need to fix and they have a good mix of kind of veterans and guys who actually played on the um, Fort Wayne Mad Ants this year to kind of balance out uh, some of the the older guys and some of the younger guys who can bring kind of a, 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 brush, a, a breath of fresh air, excuse me. So I think it'll be a great matchup. But the pure, again, like I said, the Peoria All-Stars going to be really tough to beat in their hometown. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think that from the word that I got was that the Peoria, I'm sorry, the Fort Wayne Champs were just stunned last year that the uh, Canton Bulldogs were as good as they were uh, for the 15-2 matchup. So, you know, we'll see. Hopefully they're not um, as stunned this year, having seen some tape on Peoria All-Stars from the Jamboree. Uh, that team's going to be tough to beat. That's the 545 matchup on Saturday 
the 15th. So the next game of the evening is going to be the 7.30 matchup, guys. And uh, as we get into the evenings of these games, especially in the Midwest region, it seems like those always where the drama is uh, in these games. And this one is going to be a really interesting game. It's the number one seeded Golden Eagles Marquette alumni team versus the number 16 seed Midwest Dream Squad. I've said this to a lot of the GMs that have asked me about the seeding before, but it's incredible to me that a team like the Midwest Dream Squad is a 16 seed now. Uh, that's a team that would have been an eight, uh, frankly, in like 19, I'm sorry, in like 2014 or 2015 at the latest. Uh, but anyways, Midwest Dream Squad is a really solid squad for a 16 seed, but they really seem to be going up against a buzzsaw uh, in the Golden Eagles alumni team, uh, Jake. Yeah, this Golden Eagles alumni team is one of my favorites. If you look into the roster, if you've all, if you followed Marquette basketball over the past, you know, five, ten years or so. These are all names you should recognize. Dwight Bikes, Darius Johnson-Odom, uh, Jarrell McNeil, Jamil Wilson have all spent time in the NBA. Trent Lockett came over as a transfer uh, a couple years ago and played really well during his one year at Marquette. Devontae Gardner was always a solid guy in the post for Marquette. A little undersized, a classic undersized college big man, uh, but he's a house and, and will command the paint uh, as well as anyone in TBT. Now we'll see, we'll make sure, see if uh, Marquette gets everyone out there. I know we have Dwight Bikes uh, playing really well in Orlando Summer League right now. We'll see if he gets an invitation to Vegas. And if he does, that probably means he'll be out for that first weekend of games uh, in the Midwest region. But a really well-put-together team uh, with a ton of scoring options. And you know, and that's what you kind of need in TVTs. You obviously need some good post play, and they'll have that in a guy like Gardner, uh, as well as uh, Lawrence Blackledge, uh, who's, who can play that as well. But they have so many guys on this team who can really just get shots up uh, between Darius Johnson-Odom and McNeil, as well as Lockett and Bikes. And then you have you know great coaches on the bench as well, in Travis Diner and uh, Wesley Matthews, guys with NBA experience uh, who love this uh, this Marquette program and want to you know continue to be a part of it and see them through uh, to the next level. I would expect them to to win that game you know rather handily, but you never know with this this Midwest Dream Squad team has been in TBT before. They were a part of one of the best TBT games in history uh, when they took on the Notre Dame uh, Fighting Irish a couple years ago. You know Joel Box is a, is a holdover from that team. Uh, a really good player who was a part of that that solid core a couple years ago. Uh, it could be a good game, but I, I think this Golden Eagles team is uh, few teams can really match their scoring prowess in TBT this year. Josh, your thoughts on this one sixteen? Yeah, I think Jake said it well. I think the interesting thing are is these are two um, kind of undersized teams. I mean, I don't think Midwest has anyone taller than Joel Box at six eight, and the Golden Eagles don't have anyone taller than six eight either. So two teams who like to get out and run. Um, they like to move the ball. They like to get out in transition, like I mentioned, and two undersized kind of teams. I think that's kind of the way basketball is going a little bit, uh, just with you know more guard play, kind of stretch four, stretch five kind of guys, but. Um, you know, so I think you're going to see two kind of similar styles trying to go up against each other. And then I think at the end of the day, the Golden Eagles probably have too much talent. You know, Jake mentioned the guard play. They can feed it to Devontae Gardner inside. who's really more of a defensive player, but has a nice finish around the rim. Um, and, you know, again, like Jameel Wilson, like Jake mentioned, and you can kind of go on and on. So I think the talent might overwhelm them a little bit too much. But again, I get when you have a team um, who can shoot like the Midwest Dream Squad can, if this gets into, uh, again, a back and forth kind of transition game Midwest Dream Squad they're hitting their shots you know Sean Dockery is getting to the hoop then all of a sudden you could have a little bit of a, of a frantic kind of pace and maybe a little bit of trouble for the Golden Eagles so it'll be a great matchup with two really again fast paced teams who want to get the ball out run finish in transition and hit down those threes I mean I think the team who shoots better from beyond the arc is probably going to be the one to come away with the win in this game.
Yeah, I think you guys raise a great point about Marquette, and it's one I, th- I know that the uh, Golden Eagles team is sensitive to is the size issue. You know, they had some trouble last year with Patrick O'Brien from the uh, always a brave Bradley alumni team. So I'm really interested to see how good Marquette actually is. That's one of the teams that when I sent out the uh, questionnaire to all the GMs asking them to rank the uh, the field, you know, Marquette was one of the teams that was almost a unanimous selection as the best team in the Midwest. So I'm really curious to see how good they actually are in the court. They're going to have to obviously hit their outside shots, uh, and they're going to have to play fast because they just don't have the size uh, to compete with some of these teams that have seven footers. That being said, I think the Midwest Dream Squad is probably a good matchup for uh, Golden Eagles in that first round because, as you guys pointed out, the size differential is not so dramatic. All right, guys, the last game of the night uh, could be the best one and maybe is the best game of the whole first round in TBT. The Majerus Slew Crew, the eight seed, which is a St. Louis alumni squad, uh, versus the number nine seeded HBC Hurley Basketball Club. Guys, a couple of my favorite GMs in this, Matt Marsk and uh, Brian Hurley, are facing off here. This is really going to be a fantastic matchup. The Slew Crew was, was competed in TBT in 2015, on hiatus in 2016, now back uh, and even better, I think, in 2017. HBC is now in their third year competing in TBT, and Brian Hurley uh, started off as a fan, uh, Josh, kind of like you did, I guess, and um, has kind of uh, made a great transition into organizing really one of the one of the best teams, I think, in the Midwest. Uh, Josh, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think uh, you, you mentioned it there with the Hurley story. I love what they've done with that team, but you look at what uh, the Slough crew has done. They, they're definitely a better team than two years ago. I mean, they added uh, Farrakhan Hall, who played on that Memphis alumni team last year. He is, I believe he's a... Um, uh, oh, he's actually he's from Memphis, but he's joined up with them. And they also had Ronaldo Major, who played at Fresno State, uh, and has had really one of the better players in G League history. He's won a G League title. He's won a couple of defensive awards. He's won uh, a couple of other awards here and there. And he's really had a long career in the G League since leading Fresno State. And you add them to a core of Dwayne Evans, one of the best players in St. Louis history. Jordan Jet, um, you know, a guard for them, very storied player who I think he's you know. Top five in, in several categories, you know, steals, assists, etc. Um, so he's had, a, again, a very good career there. And then Mike McCall Jr., uh, who's another player there who I think averaged a double-double in his senior year. So um, really good core of four or five guys. There's some good role players like Mike Crawford, who can, you know, shoot the ball well. Corey Remekin will play down low for them. So they're another team who a little bit undersized um, when you look at their roster, but I think that they're going to be able to overpower a really tough HBC and a good HBC team, but I think the Slough crew is going to have a really good showing in TBT 2017 and um, really make it a couple wins further than they did in their first appearance in 2015 when they went one and done. Yeah, I saw that a couple people have them going pretty far. Um, I think Lenardi even has them, if I'm not mistaken, going all the way to the round of 16. Is that right? I, I, yeah, I believe he does. I, I have to relook, but um, some of the other expert uh, brackets we got too are very high on the Slough crew. And again, like I mentioned, not hard to see why. Interesting. Jake, what are your thoughts on this 8-9? Uh, you know, I like both these teams, and I think you look at the SLU crew and the, the advantage they have of guys, you know, who have played together for multiple years at uh, St. Louis under, uh, you know, former head coach Rick Majerus. Uh, you know, that kind of gives them an advantage in this situation over a team like HBC, you know, which is a, sort of a random assortment of guys who who've all played at very high levels or are still currently playing at very high levels. But it's kind of, you know, a mix of chemistry and knowing a system and, you know, being, you know, building up a brotherhood uh, over four years at a college as opposed to, you know, a week or two in a training camp. Now, I will say that this HBC team has a, guy, a ton of guys with a lot of accolades on this team. 
Tyron Johnson was the 2010 Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year. You have Kelvin Martin, who's the 2012 Big South uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Patrick Richard was the 2012 Southland Conference Player of the Year. And then you have Tim Blue from Middle Tennessee State, who has won all sorts of awards and titles uh, in different countries from where he's played 2010 in the Dutch League Championship. He was a MVP in Finland a couple years ago, uh, as well as uh, an MVP in France in their second division. So there's a lot of talented guys in that team. It's, it's can you get them to all you know coexist and play together and, and learn each other's talents uh, in a short enough period of time where you can actually uh, win these games as opposed to the slew crew team you know that has been spending you know years at a time building up this chemistry. All right. Well, this is going to be great. I mean, I think this matchup, this eight nine one, is going to be dynamic. I, I'm so torn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I just don't know who's going to win. And it uh, was always crushing, I think, when a team loses. Guys, one way you don't lose is by following TBT on Twitter. I'm not sure that you guys know this. I talk about it all the time. At the tournament on Twitter. On Facebook, we're facebook.com backslash the tournament. You can subscribe to TBT's podcast on Apple Podcasts. I know Jake does that, listens with all of his friends. They sit around in a circle and uh, critique uh, Jake's critiques, basically. Um, the other thing, guys, is that tickets for TBT are available. You can go to thetournament.com and click on tickets at the top, and you'll find all the tickets that you need to catch TBT in person. I can testify to this, guys, with 100% uh, veracity here, that there is nothing like seeing a TBT game come down to the wire and actually being in the building when you watch these guys compete. Uh, you've never seen something as hard. Every game is a game seven, and it's an unbelievable experience. So to anyone out there that's listening or anyone that's thinking about going to TBT, I highly, highly recommend it. As a sports fan, uh, you're not going to see anything better than a TBT game live. So again, those tickets are available. That's the Midwest Regional Preview that we have for this year's TBT 2017 Midwest Regional in Peoria, Illinois, hosted by Bradley University. We'll be back soon, guys, with our West Regional Preview which, again, is going to be an awesome region. Thanks again for listening.